Good morning, Turks and Caicos. Welcome to the program Expressions. I'm your host, Robert Hall. I want to welcome all of my viewers throughout the Turks and Caicos Islands and around the world. Today's show is going to be extremely, uh, very important, a very informational and educational, uh, with a focus on crime and the interconnectedness with the Attorney General's Chambers, uh, the Judiciary, the Director of Public Prosecutions, and the Police. Of course, there is a major role that the society as a whole has to play. And so I would expect, whether you're a pastor, whether you're a priest, whether you're a nun, maybe a policeman, just an ordinary citizen, to chime in, because this is a necessary conversation we have to have. How many mornings must we wake up to hear yet another man shot dead? What is becoming of our beloved Turks and Caicos? We need to knock heads, hands and hearts together to come up with a solution. So those students studying abroad, I want you, where possible, to listen in. I've told my own daughter up there in the UK, be sure to listen to expressions today. It's very educational, particularly for those of you who are studying law. Those at the community college, I would hope that one of the lecturers, particularly those in government, we tell them to tune in, or if they do not or cannot, then afterwards uh, go to our Facebook page, Radio Turks and Caicos, um, Radio Turks and Caicos, 89.1fm.com. And uh, you can see expressions at your leisure. In fact, many of the lecturers, and I would suggest all of the contract teachers in the Turks and Caicos Islands find a way to listen to the program because there is a need to understand our system as it may differ from your country of origin. And sometimes I find because of that, our students are sometimes fed misinformation, though not deliberately. With that, I want to welcome all of you to Expressions today. I want to thank my technical operator. She's all the way up in London. So uh, she is off the job now onto studies. But I have a team of volunteers who, when I want to remember, some of my Baptist songs or certain scripture verses. I only got to call my sister wealthy. I got that. And then I have Crescendo Hall and my daughter Ruby, who are my researchers. And, of course, the staff here at Radio Turks and Caicos. Let me big them up. All of those who assist me in getting my songs and so on and so on. You see here, we don't have the kind of staff like many other stations 
uh, you know, producers and researchers, what have you. So we do the best we can. And don't you think we're doing a fairly good job on expressions with all our limitations? Anyway, I want to thank all of you who patronize this show. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father and our God, as we approach your throne of grace, we come before you with bleeding hearts as overnight we hear of other murders. It would seem as if many of our youngsters have lost any sense of value for themselves or for human life and dignity. We pray that those who are inclined to commit crime, that you may return them to their original state as no child was born a criminal. They develop into that. We pray for all those who are on the front line, serving and protecting us. We pray that you would guide and protect them in what is becoming more and more a dangerous job. We pray for our citizens. Despite the challenges, the intimidation, the fear, but that we would cooperate with the law enforcement officers because collectively we have to solve our problems. Teach us to be independent on thinking and not relying on others to do what we ought to be doing for ourselves. Bless our government as they lead and provide. We pray that you would bless this nation and help us to end the scourge of death and violence that has become commonplace. These favors we ask in your dear son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, as has been advertised, I expect to have guests today. I hope they are not like some persons going down to Flo's office, as our station is upstairs, the Arisa Plaza, just next door to what was the Junkanoo Club. But in um, minutes, I hope to be joined uh, by Mrs. Brooks, the Director of Public Prosecutions, and later on, the Attorney General of the Turks and Caicos Islands. Two wonderful, gifted, dedicated civil servants who have been serving the Turks and Caicos Islands for a number of years. <clears throat> they have burned the midnight oil. They have qualified themselves and they have ascended to some of the highest offices in the land. We have a way of not acknowledging the success of our own people. 
course, the good book is correct that no prophet is well of honor except in his own country. And more often than not, we tend to think, not Robert Hall, of course, that foreign and white is better. Or that slave mentality that was installed years ago, many just trying to break themselves away from that mindset. But others are still in the clutches of that old octopus. Only we can free ourselves. I heard in the news that a new director of the Integrity Commission has been recruited. Yet another retired British. Stafford Mizzick's words were true years ago, the late Honorable Stafford Mizzick, when he said the roosters are coming down to eat up all the corn. And that still seemed to be the case. There is so much need for integrity in public offices in the United Kingdom. Why can't they focus on that side and leave us to focus on this side? Am I to believe there is no one here qualified and with a kind of integrity to head that office? I say yes. But until we, the citizens, become more conscious and demand more, then it will continue to happen. And that is why I don't bother to engage in demonstrations anymore. There are some burning issues that I would love to lead a demonstration on, particularly with regards to the British, the Constitution, their negligence in many areas. But alas, I guess it was like years ago when I demonstrated against Christopher Turner. And I wouldn't tell you what I had to do to get some of the boys from West Road to join me. And of all the elected members, Arabella was the only one to really stand with me with our placards saying farewell to Christopher Turner. And mine read, glad to see your backside. But of course, many of the older citizens of that time chided me. Many called and said, Honorable Hall, we love you, but we don't think that was right what you did to the governor. There were some who were even shedding tears as Christopher Turner left. I had no tears to sh shed for him. I saved it for other occasions. Of course, he is no longer with us. He is no longer in the world. He is gone to answer to what he has done for or against these islands. 
So governors come and go. Commissioners come and go. Integrity commission, when I say commissions, I mean commissioners of police, come and go. And you see, that is why, while I am not anti-foreign as such, the point is they do whatever they feel like doing, brush their backsides, bush crack, and man gone. And we are left to deal with the situation. Anyone near Mrs. Angela Brooks, please remind her of our appointment and where our station is. At 11, I hope to be joined by the Attorney General. But Robert Stevenson Hall is one talk show host who always come prepared. And so whether a guest is late or a no-show, I've got information. I've got the papers. I've got the document. I've done my research, Mr. Clark. Good morning, Mr. Clark. And I'm talking about Ernie, not Tony, who is looking for a driver. Some of you Turks Island guys sitting on the corner and messing around. You got a good driver's license. Go see Tony, Tony Clark. You see, ever so often I talk about jobs, jobs, and I see them adver being advertised. There is enough work in this country for everybody. Now, of course, some of you won't be legal advisor and the only buy your pass is ping bar and tequila. You got to qualify yourself. Just wearing that badge of Turks and Caicos, that ain't gonna cut it. Like I say in several conversations, and I say to my children, to inspire them. When I left college in 75 and came back home as a trained teacher, that was like a big thing. I don't think we had more than a half dozen, <coughs> if that many, trained male teachers. And, of course, the future looked so bright for me in education. But I had to leave town under some weird circumstances. <laughs> and eventually I moved over into politics. But the point I make is, hadn't it been for my age and if I was still involved in education, I might have been at the bottom of the pack unless I went on to upgrade my skills and qualifications. And that is what I urge all citizens, young people, to make use of the opportunities that are there. Let me take a little break and get the show rolling with what has become like my theme song. No governor should have more power than our elected leaders. I haven't heard one politician call in to comment on this song. Do you agree with that? Or are you the type who's still saying, yes, massa? I wonder. As for me, cause it what it's may, and until the day we hoist our own flag, 
Oh, until that day the good Lord calls me home, I will forever be saying no governor should have more power than our elected leaders.
Uh, let me say it again. No governor should have more power than our elected leaders. I don't know what has happened, but um, I'm still anticipating that Ms. Angela Brooks, the acting director of public prosecutions, uh, hopefully she will soon be here. And then at 11, the attorney general, so that we can have uh, a real great discussion. But in the meantime, let's look at a very, very important arm of government the judiciary. And I have watched the growth and development of the judiciary over the years, and I recall the days when uh, we had lay persons acting as magistrates. <clears throat> Today, uh, we have uh, qualified lawyers and uh, individuals acting as magistrates. I believe at the moment we have either two or three magistrates we have uh, some three supreme court judges um and we have uh three appeal court judges of course you know we have uh, a chief justice and so the court or the or the judiciary has certainly grown over the years <clears throat> and with the increase in crime they have been extremely busy over the years and so what i'm going to do i am just going to read some excerpts from the chief justice's report i think this one is for 2022 and so you can from that get a glimpse 
at the magnitude of work that is before them. And starting with the Supreme Court on criminal matters, he said there were 94 pending criminal cases from 2021. In 2022, 58 new cases representing a wide range being burglary, murder, forgery, corruption, robbery, rape, sexual assault, drug and firearm offenses were filed. Sadly, firearm offenses make up 40% of the charges. Yes. And if I may just move away from the report and add, if it was possible to apprehend many of the shooters and those with weapons, it would be far more. But so often they elude the police and unfortunately, for various reasons, the citizens still practice that their lips are clasped in most instances. In a report, she says, altogether, 50 cases were disposed by court sitting in Grand Turk and Providenciales, leaving 101 active pending cases, which are at various stages in the criminal trial process. And she goes on to the SIP trial, and she says, As I reported last year, upon the serving of the information on the case of R versus Michael Mizick in June 2021, the first of the cases being R versus Floyd Basil Hall and three others commenced in July 21 and is in its final stages. I am confident that we shall see the end of the trial by the end of the first quarter of this year to be followed by the second trial, R versus Michael Mizek and the two others. Let me pause to say, indeed, in the first instance in the Supreme Court, the matter with Floyd Hall and one other, returned a guilty verdict, and one was set free. It is my understanding the two guilty persons have filed appeal. We don't know how soon that would be heard, let alone what the outcome may be. In the case of Michael Mizek and two others, I am not aware if a judge has as yet been selected. I can only urge the authorities to get on with it because we, this matter, this dark cloud has been hanging over us for much too long. We want to be able to put this behind us and move on. And of course, the costs continue to rise. They say he who paid the piper Pays the piper, call the tune. Well, we pay the piper, but we certainly don't call the tune. Now on the civil side, carried over from 20, 
2022, there were 232 civil cases filed. Of this number, 180 were disposed of. And that is a pretty good record there, as far as I'm concerned. Let me just go over, sorry. 91 civil cases were carried over from 21. Yes, in 2022, 232 civil cases were filed. Of this number, 180 cases were disposed of. That means completed, done away with. 32 family cases were carried over from 2022. 62 new cases were from 2021. 62 new cases were filed in 2022. 75 cases were disposed of. That again, is a pretty good record, just about 75%. And of course, she commended the three judges that handled the civil cases in 2022 and produced outstanding results, as she said. And at that time, you had Justice Carlos Simons, KC, Acting Judge Hyten, OJKC, and Mr. Justice Grushot. Hope I pronounced that correctly. Now, the Court of Appeal, 19 cases were carried over from 21. In 2022, new appeals were filed. These five appeals were determined meaning they came to a conclusion or disposed of. In the magistrate's court, now listen carefully, a total of 3,411 matters were pending throughout the magistrate's court. 3,411. That is 2021 with a total of 895 matters disposed of throughout the magistrate's court. Whatever the reasons are, I don't know. But that one is certainly a low percentage. Does it mean that the workload of the magistrate is so much that we need to have more magistrates. I notice in her report, she spoke about having a magistrate for North Caicos, Middle and South Caicos. But let me continue. The breakdown in the magistrate's court at Providencialis, Providencialis and North Caicos, a total of two thousand eight hundred and twenty five including traffic matters were at various stages of hearing and seventy sorry seven hundred and forty three were 
disposed of. Again, that's just about a quarter, pretty low rate. In Grand Turk and South Caicos, a total of 586 matters were also in various stages of hearing with 152 being disposed of. That's perhaps just a little less than a quarter. Quick mathematics. New matters filed made up 338 criminal complaints in Providenciales and North Caicos, 98 in Grand Turk and South Caicos, 70 traffic complaints in Providenciales and North Caicos, 49 in Grand Turk and South Caicos, 776 traffic tickets, 212 civil matters in Providenciales and North Caicos, 30 in Grand Turk and South Caicos, 101 family matters in Providenciales and North Caicos, 36 in Grand Turk and South Caicos, 7 adoptions in Providenciales and North Caicos, 31 complaints in Providenciales in North Caicos, uh, from NIB, none in Grand Turk and South Caicos. Boy, Grand Turk, South Caicos, people paying up the NIB thing, it's same. Provo, you know, got to pay up in a thing, man. I can expect to get protection. You know, uh, draw a hand in this ASU. But you don't want to play your hand. No, man, you got to pay to play. And, uh, That is where perhaps I would end that section of the report. But it sure speaks of the increase in criminality in the Turks and Caicos Islands. It speaks of the terrific workload uh, that our justices and magistrates have. It speaks of the need for better facilities, because while I didn't go there, but she speaks about some of the improvements that have been made and that are pending, and the plan for government to build a $21 million purpose-built courthouse in Providenciales. In Providenciales, as well as in Grand Turk, government is leasing premises for courthouse. I'm not knocking it as such, but in most countries, courthouses are prominent government landmark. And when you think of all that is happening in Providenciales, we do need a modern, state-of-the-art courthouse. I always decry the fact that for the SIP trial, the health facility that I built, Myrtle Rigby, is used for that purpose than its original. Because, in fact, although we have the hospital, if that building wasn't being used for that purpose, that could be the center for primary health care. As I often remind the public, that they should make use of the facilities provided 
by a, a primary health care. Like the saying goes, stitch in time, save nine. So whatever your complaints are, if you have them addressed early, it you might be able to prevent the situation getting worse. I am going to pivot to the other side with the police in a minute. But I am going to dedicate a song to members of the judiciary, the AG and her chambers, the acting director of public prosecution and her staff, and all the police and other law enforcement agencies, as indeed, well, I'm not going to say where I saw some of them out this morning. Keep on doing what you're doing. People like you. People like you. Grams Morgan. If you give a little more than you take And if you try to fix more than you break If you're the kind who takes the time to help a stranger in the rain There's a place for people like you If you stand up for those down on their knees And lend a voice to those who cannot speak If you shine a little light Give sight to the ones who've lost their way There's a place for people like you
said I dedicate that to members of the judiciary headed by our Chief Justice the Attorney General Chambers headed by our Attorney General the Director of Public, Public Prosecutions Office headed by our Acting Director of Public Prosecutions our Police and all law enforcement agencies. Again, I want to say good morning to everyone tuning in, and I have a feeling, though I have no indication of who all are tuning in, perhaps you can WhatsApp me and tell me that you are tuning in listening to Expressions. And at 11, the direct, sorry, the Attorney General, the Honorable Rondalee Brathwaite Knowles, and the Acting Director of Public Prosecution, uh, Ms. Brooks, Ms. Brooks, uh, they will be joining me to speak of their respective roles. Let me provide you now with a little bit of information because I wanted to have the police acting commissioner on, but he is out of the country, and I know he will want he will agree to come on at some time in the future. But I'm going to read uh, some of the. Uh, Crime statistics that were provided for 2023, and then pivot to what we have going on now. But before I, or well, let me just do that, and then I'll make my comments afterwards. And this was dated January 5, 2024. Crime statistics recently revealed by the Commissioner, Acting Commissioner of Police Rodney Adams, showed a 30.3% reduction in murders and that police have become markedly better at solving these crimes. At a press conference, December 22, at police headquarters in Providenciales, Adams detailed how the crime situation has reduced in 2023 compared to the previous year. The measures they took to achieve this, some of the challenges of their plans for 2024. Adams shared that in 2023, there were 20 Three murders. May I pause to say, my own words now, 23 too many. And then he continues, as of December 22, this is compared to 33 homicides in 2022, which is a decrease of 30.3%. He stated, while last year the detection rate for homicides stood at 6%, extremely low. This year, our detection rate is 39%, an increase of 33%. Congratulations, some improvement, but much further to go. Robberies have decreased 47.1% and 
and discharging of firearms by 54.8%. We are encouraged by the recent statistics and are committed to improving them even further, the Commissioner said. In the past year, police seized 27 illegal firearms, 16 of which were recovered in the last four months of the year. Adams observed that the Anti-Gang Ordinance 2022 has played a vital and crucial role in addressing gang-related offenses. To date, he said, five suspected gang members are before the courts charged with various offenses under the ordinance. We have had significant seizures of drugs this year and will continue on our relentless efforts to tackle drug-related offenses, the commissioner said, although no statistics were provided regarding this. He stated that throughout the past year and in the face of unprecedented challenges, law enforcement officers have exhibited resilience, dedication, courage, and unwavering commitment to ensure safety for the Turks and the Caicos Islands. And he continues to speak about the challenges and thanking his men, etc., etc. But let me just, in conclusion uh, uh, to this section, provide you with a little bit of statistic. Now, this is not any sort of cool comfort of um, some of the homicides, murders around the Caribbean. Now, Jamaica has a population of 2.8 million people. In 2021, Um, sorry, let me see. I'll get back to that in a little bit. I miss out on something there. I'll get back to that and fill it in later on. Anyway, in Trinidad and Tobago, with a population of 1.5 million, in 2023, there were 576 homicides Trinidad and Tobago with a population of 1.5 million 576 homicides and since the year started 2024 they've already recorded 15 St. Vincent and the Grenadines with a population of just 104,332, they recorded 55 homicides in 2023. Grenada, which has enjoyed a relatively low crime rate, of course, it's, uh, even there they're experiencing an upsurge now. Uh, they have a population of 124,610, and uh, they according to, and all these go back to the, the, their population stat, statistics go back to 2021. But they, in 23, recorded 17 homicides. The Bahamas, with a population of 407,906, Uh, they recorded 128 in 2022. 128 homicides in 2022. And uh, since January, the Bahamas has recorded 
some 18 homicides. Barbados has not had many homicides like many other Caribbean countries. And uh, for them, with a population of 281,200 in 2023, they recorded 19 homicides. Now let's look at Little Turks and Caicos. With just a population of 45,114, according to the 2021 statistics. It's an estimate. In 2023, we had 30 homicides. And this 2024, we have either three or more with two last night. That's a very, very sad state of affairs. It is not the time for blame game, as a lot of people try to do. What it means is a clarion call for all hands on deck to fight the surge of crime. I mentioned to someone just this morning, I had some discussions, or brief discussions with former Governor Dakin. And quite frankly, after the discussion, I was so turned off, I never bothered to talk with him much again. Because at that time, I told him, and that would have been maybe three or more years ago, that what I thought was necessary, particularly in Providencialis, is sectional lockdown block by block, community by community. You have to bring in additional forces, then do so. Seek out the guns. Seek out illegals. Seek out drugs, because I think there's a connection. You know what he told me? What we want, we can't afford. And we wanted a, and if we want a police state, then that can't happen. And he concluded by saying that it took Bermuda either between 15 or 18 years, he said, to bring theirs under control. I wondered if he was insinuating that it should take us that long. And hence, I never bothered to engage him anymore. Having said that, we have a new governor. And while I'm not putting all blame at the governor's feet, because like I said, it takes a collective effort, the law enforcement agencies, all of us as citizens, to work together. But at the end of the day, a great deal of the responsibility for running of the police force, internal security, defense, that's where it lies. Let me end my monologue at this time as my guests are here. And I want to welcome, so often refer to sons of the soil, but today I have two of the more gifted, talented daughters of the soil. In the, pre in the 
person of the Honorable Attorney General, Rondalee Brathwaite Knowles. It goes without saying, Honorable Knowles, you know I have great respect and admiration for you and what you're doing. Thank you very much, Mr. Hall. It's very honorable, Hall, and it's very um, much a privilege to be here with you this morning. And uh, for Ms. Brooks, she knows that I do admire her and her efforts and work and wish her nothing but the best. There is considerable confusion in the public domain with regards to the Let's see, someone preempting what I was going to say with a call. Let's take the call anyway. Well, that's gone. I'm going to suggest uh, callers, please wait for maybe 20 minutes before calling in. Let's get this dialogue going. And if needs be, I put management on notice from now. If I have to go over time a little bit, then we will, okay? Because it's such an important subject as long as my guests are available. I know they're very busy and they have other things, you know, to do. And so, um, again, I just want to welcome both of you to Expressions. And as I was about to say, there's considerable confusion in the public domain with regards to the functions of the Attorney General and the functions of the Director of Public Prosecutions. And so, Honorable Attorney General, I would like you to lead off and explain to the public basically what your functions entail, what your office does. Thank you very much, um, Mr. Hallout. The Attorney General's Chambers is an office, a public office created really in, um, in the Constitution. Section um, 42 of the Constitution uh, sets out that there shall be attorney, an Attorney General, um, which shall be a public office, and it creates the office as the legal advisor to the government, um, as well as the legal advisor to the House of Assembly. Um, some maybe 15 years ago, the, um, the Attorney General's Chambers included um, a division that was responsible for criminal prosecutions, but that was um, uh, hived off into a new office within the uh, Constitution. Um, Section 100 deals with the office of the Director of Public Prosecutions. So uh, some persons believe, um, just from queries that I've received, that the Director of Public Prosecutions reports to me or that I'm responsible for prosecutions in the islands, um, but that's not, that's not the case. It's an entirely separate and independent office. Um, Absolutely. And while I didn't want to interrupt, also make it clear that you are not really part of the judiciary because many tend to think, well, you answer to the judiciary. And in my discussions, I have been explaining these are separate arms. That's correct. And I misspoke a moment ago, Section 40, 41. Um, yes, and I, I've heard that as well. I've heard that the, um, you know, people call my office, as a matter of fact, asking um, for clarifications or raising a complaint about something that has happened either in the magistrate's court or in the Supreme Court. <laughs> And saying, you know, could I deal with, you know, the particular judge or magistrate? And I've made it very clear that, again, the Attorney General's office is, is not responsible for the courts. Um, it's one of the key criminal justice stakeholders. Um, that much is absolutely true. 
Um, we work very closely with the courts. We work very closely with the other stakeholders, which would include the Office of the Director of Public Prosecution, the police, and, and other stakeholders. Um, actually, um, there is a, a group, a stakeholders group that has been formed that includes the, um, the judiciary, the, my office as Attorney General, the Office of the DPP, the police, um, social development, uh, the prison, um, and also includes the bar, the private bar. Um, and I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody uh, important. But the, the reason that that group exists is because we recognize, as you, you do by the virtue of this invitation, invitation today, that there is um, a synergy that these these Absolutely. stakeholders, although independent and um, you know having separate functions, they must work together in order for the criminal justice system to have um, good outcomes. And social development is another one of those um, stakeholders. So, um, so my office uh, is responsible, as I said, for providing legal advice to the government. Principally, that's the role. Um, in the office, I have four um, divisions uh, within the legal department. Um, you know, we know in the Turks and Caicos Islands, belatedly, we have the addition of a fourth, a fifth division, which is the lands division, but that is not um, within the constitutional framework of my scope of responsibilities. That is a statutory um, add-on. It is just assigned to it's, you. It's assigned to me, and it could be, as well be taken away from me, right. you know, in, in um, due course. So, so in terms of the legal department, I have a, a legislative drafting division, which is the one that um, I think most people recognize, um, because obviously that's the department that works to the government's legislative agenda. Another common misconception is that people believe that, that I decide what laws are going to be drafted, um, that I decide what's in the laws and you know whether they are brought into force or not brought into force. Those things really are not um, are not what my uh, my office does. I work to the government's legislative agenda. A government is elected by the people for a term, and they set out within their manifestos the ambitions that they have regarding legislative initiatives. And when they come into office, that's their legislative program. And when they come into office. One year after another, each year, there is a legislative agenda within the program. And, and it sets out a pri on a priority basis the things that the government wants to achieve for that year. So my office drafts that legislation. Right. And no doubt, there are many areas from time to time, and whichever government is in power, that they may not uh, bring forth to the table but you, from your vantage point, see that this piece of legislation is important for the country, um, then you would advise them to do so. And um, just again, for the benefit, particularly of our students, just walk us through the process, not about how it will become law, I've explained that, but once a policy has been established, how the sort of incremental steps Absolutely, because I think that's another area of misconception. Yes. So, so the legislative agenda is a list, yes. right? It's a, it's not a wish list because it's certainly based on the priorities of government and the funding should support the legislative agenda. Yes. So, if you have a bill there, you ought to then have money in the budget that's going to help to implement that piece of legislation. 
So it's the priorities for that that financial year. And um, so one that, once that list is established, really principally led by the Premier's office, it's agreed by the Cabinet. So those are the priorities because obviously a ministry may have any number of initiatives that, you know, they need to, they want to bring forward. But the Cabinet decides these things here, not that anything else isn't important, but for this year, we're going to focus on these things here. And of course, because there's a finite resource within my office, now we have four legislative drafters. So the, the ministry then says, right, the government wants to have a bill. So, for example, a bill dealing with um, sexual offenses, um, you know, and for that purpose, it may be that that comes from the police, it comes from the judiciary. And in this case, in Turks and Caicos, we had a recent bill that came from the, um, the, the police, right? Let me use another one, anti-gang. So we've just had that in 2022 as part of a suite of some 13 pieces of legislation that the police brought to the National Security Council saying these things here are really key to help us to have tools to fight crime um, because of the upsurge in organized crime and gang crime and gun-related crime. And so we had these 13 pieces of legislation that they made as a priority. National Security Council said yes. These are the things that hit on the key areas. And then the policy for that was drafted um, and prepared and sent to my legislative drafting division as, as um, instructions once it was approved by the cabinet. Um, and then the bill was then drafted, um, you know, in accordance with the policy. And of course, these things, they have stakeholders. So, of course, there had to be consultation amongst the stakeholders to come up with what was the final version of it that went to the cabinet. And the cabinet then says, yes, this is what my government wants to put forward to the legislature, um, you know, to address this, this issue of gangs. And so it went forward to the House of Assembly, and that is, um, is how the, the bills, all of them, were, were crystallized. Before I uh, switch to the acting director of public prosecutions, let me ask you one more question and uh, explain again for the benefit of the public, particularly our students or younger people, I'm always appealing to them to listen because, uh, not boasting, but if you really want information, educational programs on the talk show circuit, certainly Express This is <laughs> perhaps the leading program to listen to, okay? <laughs> I'll blow my own trumpet. And now, um, the House would pass bills, become ordinance and whatever, uh, Regulations is something different. Yeah. Please explain the technical difference with those for the public benefit. Right. So the, the bill, um, which becomes an ordinance, as you said, which is the law, is a framework, right? You can't have everything in there. You can't, right. you know, have everything go through that process. It can be a lengthy process. It can be an unwieldy process. So you've done the difficult work of creating a framework within which we say this is the framework where we want to appro approach the issue of, say, gangs gang violence then then in that same legislation because the house is the legislative making the law making body right. that makes law for the for the peace order and good government good government in the islands then it, the house can say through the legislation through the ordinance i delegate this part of the detail of this work to be to get done by the executive which is the cabinet and so then the cabinet is, is empowered by the legislature to create more detailed provision and to also amend it. So from time to time, you put in a, a set of regulations that 
you know, have to be in accordance with the ordinance, but then you realize that something isn't working or isn't working as well, or you forgot to put something in that you now, because you've operationalized it, you realize we need this. And so the cabinet, the House has said to the cabinet as the executive, you can deal with that. In some cases, they say, you have to come back to us when you make this detail, these detailed provisions and we decide whether it goes forward or whether, whether it doesn't. So that's a negative or a positive resolution um, in the House. And sometimes the House will say, well, we agree this framework, but we leave it there for a period of time. So, for example, the anti-gang legislation um, is, has a life period of three years. And the House has said, after three years, if the executive looks at this, they have to do a report, and if, it, if it's working, then they have to come back to us and we will agree to keep it, you know, to, to keep it in place. Um, so these, the power, the lawmaking power really is with the, with the House of Assembly. But I'll just quickly say that that's, and the other divisions would be very upset with me if I don't quickly mention that the legislative drafting division is one of them. But the others are the commercial division. They do all of the negotiations for government in terms of the contracting and leases and agreements and so on, subject to the instructions of the ministries yet again through cabinet. The um, civil litigation division defends the government against uh, lawsuits and also brings the lawsuits on behalf of the government. And then the international division, which helps us to ensure that we are compliant with our international obligations. They deal with issues of law between states on behalf of the TCI. So those are the four legal divisions that I have responsibility for. What is for. your full complement of staff? Not enough. Right. <laughs> Never what? enough. I only have 16 lawyers, you know, and so as much as the, the work is plentiful within that, um, the, and the, I'm sure the, um, the, the acting DPP is going to echo um, this call, you know, for the need for additional manpower. At this moment, I am fully complimented. I, I don't have any more vacancies in terms of lawyers, but I don't have enough lawyers. And so it is a conversation that I'm having at the moment with government. Um, about the need for additional resources to help to deliver the government's um, work program. Well, thank you much. Before you all came in, I actually played the song by uh, Grams Morgan, People Like You, <laughs> dedicated to members of the judiciary, the AG's chambers, the Director of Public Prosecutions, and our law enforcement agencies. I mean, you all are special people. And like I would encourage you, don't be too concerned about the naysayers in our society because there are those who all they can do is try to pull down when they themselves need to be pulled up. But anyway, there is a place for all of you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you very much, Honorable Hall, for having me. And you know that you are a very special person to me as well. Um, <clears throat> the Office of the Director of Public Prosecution is the principal public prosecution service for the Turks and Caicos Islands. And the independence of the DPP is guaranteed under Section 97-2 of the Constitution. And the powers of the DPP are set out in Section 100 of the Constitution. Prior to 2013, the criminal division was contained within the um, AG's chambers. And in 2013, uh, we formed uh, the DPP, the Office of the Director of Public Prosecutions. 
And essentially, the responsibility of the DPP is for instituting and undertaking all prosecutions within the Turks and Caicos Islands on all offenses and in every court, that being the magistrate court, the Supreme Court, and the Court of Appeal. And we also um, have the Privy Council, which is in the UK, when needs, when needs be. Um, currently, we have one office on Grand Turk, and our second office is on Providentialis. Like the Honorable Attorney General said, um, we have insufficient criminal prosecutors within my office. We are currently addressing that problem, but it is causing a problem because we can all agree that crime is increasing tremendously from when I started prosecuting some 22 years ago um, to now there's been an explosion um, in criminal activity and we simply don't have enough prosecutors to prosecute um, the, the volume of cases that come into uh, my office. On my way here, I was listening to the show and I heard you explaining some of the statistics that were um, in the media and on the number of cases that were prosecuted in the magistrate courts and in the Supreme Courts. And um, I heard you saying that, you know, in some cases, there was only like one quarter of the cases that were actually prosecuted, et cetera, et cetera. And you were saying that you're wondering if they should bring in another magistrate or another judge. But when you're thinking about bringing in another magistrate and a judge, you also have to bring in more defense counsel and public prosecutors because it wouldn't make any, it wouldn't be um, beneficial to have another judge if you don't have a prosecutor or, uh, or defense counsel to work in those courts. I can I fully agree with you. And as you say that, what is the full complement of your office, those working with you? Um, on Grand Turk, I have two public prosecutors. And on Providentialis, I have five. We are currently um, in a deficit of five. We need three more senior public prosecutors, one principal, and one public prosecutor. So you can only imagine. Yes, I hear that. And um, of course, I'm not apportioning blame anywhere. But um, as I read and follow the court proceedings and things like that, um, we see so many cases are laid over for years and years. And, you know, there's a saying, justice delayed is justice denied. Of course, sometimes witnesses pass away, they leave the jurisdiction, what have you. Some have had a change of mind. So a potential uh, guilty individual walks free. Um, and hence, while we look for justice, um, it should be as speedy as possible. There are a number of reasons why um, cases don't proceed as the public expects it to. Um, one of the reasons is, um, like you mentioned, when cases are dragged on for a long time, witnesses lose interest. One thing we cannot do, we cannot force people to come to court and testify. We have situations where people will give witness statements, and at the end of the day, when the case actually comes to court, you cannot find a person, or they are no longer interested, or they will go in the witness box and refuse to speak. Sometimes cases take a longer time in court, for, for example, if a case is slated for a week, 
and then um, the case takes about three weeks. The case that is supposed to follow that case now has to be moved because we have a list and it doesn't necessarily move to the next available date because we have other cases as well. So sometimes cases are moved and it's moved um, three months, six months. We have a shortage of defense counsel at the bar. So even if we do have sufficient prosecutors, um, we only have X amount of, of defense counsel and this only they can only appear one person at a time. So we have that issue. Then you have this climate of fear that is being generated in the Turks and Caicos Islands, and it's very relevant. Yes. Where you have people witnessing yes. atrocious mm -hmm. um, incidents, and they refuse to come forward to give you know statements. I cannot say that I would outrightly blame that person for not coming forward because they are afraid that you know they can then become a statistic as well. So we have that to deal with. So that's also an issue. Yes, I, I'm so conscious of that. Even when I, on the show, appeal to the public, please cooperate. Um, at times, you're right, the way things are going now, perhaps that person is putting himself or maybe his family in danger because there's this whole spirit of revenge. I mean, uh, like I say, uh, day by day, um, uh, people have lost their moral compass, no respect for their own lives because they could get killed. And no respect for other people's lives, no concern about their families. Because it is so sad when we watch young men after young men going, and almost every one of them leave a child behind. So either there's that distraught mother left to take care of, or society to help in, in nurturing and bring up the child. It's a very, very sad state of affairs. Uh, so just to make the distinction very clear, um, as the Honorable Attorney General was um, carving out what her office does. So my office is totally separate, and we concentrate primarily on prosecuting criminal matters, advising the stakeholder groups, um, in particular the Royal Turks and Caicos Islands Police Force, on providing legal advice when it comes to criminal matters, and we prosecute matters. We do not, because like AG had said, People will come to me and say, oh, Mrs. Brooks, um, we want to sue the guy. I can sue your office um, because of land and whatever. And so I have to direct them to the AG's chambers. We do not deal with commercial contracts or any form of contracts or representing the government in that capacity. We deal strictly with prosecuting matters in the criminal courts in the Turks and Caicos Islands. We recommend um, prosecutions and we appear in court and represent the crown. It is not personal individuals and that's another thing that i would want to bring out to the listening public we represent the crown the king so when people say um oh for instance if it's um, a matter between the honorable attorney general and myself it is not a personal matter of the ag the ag may be the the um complainant the person who was aggrieved but it is not personal in the sense that when we are representing the case in court, it is the crown. So persons will say, oh, why don't you drop this case because I am not interested. It is the crown we are representing and not actually the individual itself. So if I can, you know, get that across to the public, mm -hmm. that will be good. Because um, <clears throat> the whole linkage there is the crown is responsible that justice yeah. yeah, it's the crown and right of the people. Absolutely. So it's yes. really like in the United States where they have the um, expression, the people against 
Right. Right. So, um, because of course they don't have a monarch, and so the um, the is a head of state. It's a state, but it's the same concept. So I mean, the, yes. the crown is is the crown in right of the people of the Turks and Caicos Islands. So the offense that has been committed is against the people of Turks and Caicos Islands, even though an individual may have been harmed. But the crime is against the community. And Correct. so that's where the prosecutor comes to defend the community and, 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 puts, and prosecutes the crime. In and the past, they would say R versus so-and-so. We still say R. Still R. Rex. Yes. No, not Regina. It Rex. It's not Rex okay. since the Queen mm -hmm. has passed. But And two yes. things on that, too, um, Honorable Hall. If a person in the community, if they make... Um, they report a crime, and they go to the police office, the, the police department, and they give a statement. Okay, and two months down the road, the matter comes up before the court, and the individual now says that, "Oh, I lied. I don't want to give any evidence anymore." There's a there's provisions in the law where I can yes, I we can prosecute that person um, for wasting court time. And also for making false allegations against the individual. So if persons feel as if, you know, they can go to the police and just waste the police time in making allegations and then they're being, for whatever reason, they decide that they don't want it anymore, that, that's an issue that we take very seriously. We also prosecute matters where the complainant is not present because if we have the evidence on videotape or someone else sees the incident, I really don't need the actual complainant. So I can proceed without the individual. So um, the public also has to be aware of that as well. I mean, I uh, have observed instances where, um, particularly crimes of passion, where you find um, a spouse may have physically battered an individual mm -hmm. and a complaint is made. But then after a little moment of sweetness or perhaps a few dollars exchange, the attitude is, I'm bothering no more. Yes. And so people will say, well, why didn't uh, the Crown do this Profit. or do that? Mm -hmm. But um, how could you easily secure uh, such a conviction? We have two methods of dealing with that. One, I've dealt with these things in court myself where the crime of um, the wife, the girlfriend, has been battered, and the moment they go to the police station, they are supported by family, they get the witness statement, and they are very, yes, I want court action, I want legal action. Two weeks later, mm -hmm. after roses and candies and whatever, wow. um, they come and they say, well, Mrs. Brooks, I don't want any more action, and I don't want any more action in court. So I ask, you, I ask them, is it that it never happened, happened, or are you changing your mind? Um, they're changing their mind. They don't want any business in court, etc. So I, I, I say to that individual, we take domestic violence to the highest level of seriousness. You have to come to court. You have to go in the witness box. You have to hold the Bible in your hand and you swear. I will ask you questions. If you refuse to answer, the call is on you. Why? At the end of the day, if that individual leaves the courthouse, um, Mr. Hall, and then for whatever reason the act is repeated and the person gets seriously injured or death it will not be said that the dpp's office did not go to the fullest extent to get that case prosecuted secondly if a, if a witness 
witnessed an incident between Peter and Jane. And Jane eventually says that she doesn't want the incident to happen. She doesn't want to proceed. But we have an independent witness who observed the incident. I will call the independent witness. I will tender the medical. I don't need you. I know what you mean. Well, I always, I have three daughters, and I always advise them. If a man put a hand on you, and you can run, run away, and stay away. Don't give him another chance. Because the next chance you might not be able to run. And I have lived that myself. And I don't lie about anything. Hardly. And once in my life I ever hit a woman. You know why? The woman slapped the hell out of me. And I thought she was rather brave. So I look at her for a moment. Unbelie- <laughs> you know, unbelieving. Mm. You could look at me and slap me. And then look at me as if to say, so what? So, yeah, I sent one back, fire, <laughs> you know. I mean, maybe I was wrong, but, man, I, I had to answer. <laughs> but it's something I do not encourage, violence no, um, no. of any form. Yes. Anyway, we come to that moment when we're going to open the phone lines because uh, this, perhaps, is one of the more interesting aspects of expressions when people can call in and give their views. So the number to call is one nine hundred twenty two twenty two. 007 or 9462007 and don't forget you may text me at 2447332 um let me go to the text line while waiting um this one is aimed at you attorney general if it is the case that the ag is the government's lawyer and advisor to the house of assembly then is it also the case that the ag serves at the discretion of the government so given what has been said so far how do the office of the AG and the office of the DP fit into the three equal branches of government? All right. So I'll take the second question first. Um, so as it relates to the work of the um, of my office uh, legal department, the Attorney General is a very sort of um, unique uh, creature within the contact in, of the Constitution, because as legal advisor. The Attorney General is responsible for giving legal advice to the Cabinet, which is the executive branch of government, um, but also to the House of Assembly. And so, you know, it's um, it's a it's a role where which requires a lot of diligence in terms of avoiding partisanship um, and really being uh, a lawyer, lawyer in the sense of giving an unvarnished legal advice. Um, and, you know, sometimes there's a misconception that legal advice is um, crafted to suit the the client. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if the client wants a particular kind of advice, then that's what it is. But it's really not. Um, you know, the, the position, it's objective. It's what the law says. And, um, and so, you know, the advice there is not, um, not partisan in that way. It doesn't take sides. Um, it really is what it is. And then, of course, the decision maker has to decide what to do with that. So you've got the advice on whether, you know, the, the risks in making a particular decision, whether the law supports it or doesn't support it. But sometimes it's not as black and white like that. It's not, you yes. know, this thing you want to do is unlawful or this thing you want to do is lawful. It's the risks that if you do this, you know, these are the risks that you have to mitigate and you have options. 
And so it is for the decision maker then to take a decision on which of those options is best to suit their objective and um, where they can mitigate those risks. So, um, so the advice that is given, whether it's given to the, to the cabinet or whether the advice is given within the context of the House of Assembly, it's just what the law provides. And so in regard to that, people sometimes think, well, you know, um, we don't like the advice. Um, but the advice, um, you know, the, the attorney general doesn't make the law. The lawmakers make the law. The law is made in the House. So if it is that a particular position is not, the government doesn't like it, but beyond it being something that would be, um, say, unconstitutional, um, if it is that the government doesn't like the position, it is open to the government as the executive branch responsible for giving, for operationalizing the government to propose to the legislature changes to the law um, so that they can do what, you know, what the objective is. And that happens. From time to time, you'll see that um, amendments are proposed because the government has a particular objective in mind, which they can't meet within the legislative framework, within what the law provides, and so they go back and change it. So, for example, one of the proposals that I know is heavily debated now has to do with the law, which, which says that you cannot import a vehicle that is 10 years old or more. Now, there are some in some quarters who clearly don't like that, yes. right? Others like it because they say it protects the environment. That was the premise upon which it was introduced by the government in which the House supported it, and that's how it became law. So if the Attorney General is asked for advice about a particular vehicle, say the vehicle is, is you know, 20 years old and the person wants to import it, and then they say, well, I can't do this because the law stops me. The AG says I can't bring it in. Actually, it's not the AG that says that. It's the law that says that. Right. So if it is that the government, having heard from the people, um, you know, says, well, right, this is not working. We're going to have to find another way to protect the environment. And we're going to change the law. They bring a proposal to the cabinet. They bring a proposal to the House. If the House agrees, the law changes, the person can import the vehicle. You understand? So that's something which I think people often get confused about. That, that, the law, that the attorney general is stopping us from doing something because the attorney general says, I can't do it. That's not the case at all. It's what the law allows and doesn't allow. And usually it allows options. And the decision maker, which is not the attorney general in the context of the cabinet or in the context of the House, it is the um, elected government in the context of the cabinet, and it is the, the, gov the, the members that command the majority in the context of the House. So... That's the um, so that's the so so in terms of that that second question that's where the attorney general falls and as it relates to the third branch the executive sorry and the legislature as it relates to the third branch which is the judicial branch the attorney general is an officer of the court in the same way that any attorney is there the right is an officer of the court but the attorney general does have this public interest responsibility that is also enshrined in the Constitution. Because, you know, as Attorney General, I say it's a unique creature because, you know, I'm the third in line to act, um, I'm the second in line, actually, to act as governor um, under the constitutional framework after the deputy governor. Right. The Attorney General has responsibilities in terms of, um, you know, um, the companies that may make, make, become defunct or public bodies that may become defunct. It's a very wide range of public interest responsibilities. So it's not the same thing as the lawyer 
that you would go down the road that has a shingle up and that you would hire that person. It's not the same thing. I know. Um, like I was listening keenly even with the notary's public bill and uh, the need to update and so on. Yeah. That's right. So it's an overarching sort of higher principle public interest that the attorney general has to meet in, in terms of the, the way that that work is delivered. Um, and so it isn't the same. So it's not the same thing as saying, well, if the attorney general is the government's lawyer, you can hire and fire the attorney general. The attorney general has to have independence, which the Constitution provides, because that public trust, that public interest of giving an unvarnished law, not a partisan law, is really important to protect um, the rule of law. Yes. And the first part of the question, um, which he, um, Professor Lee Ingham asks, if the AG serves at the discretion of the government. Right. So that's why I said it's not that the AG serves at the discretion of the government. Right. The Attorney General has to have that tenure of office, that independence, because the advice is not partisan advice. If you have an Attorney General that is beholden to the government for tenure, then the, it is more likely that that person is going to give a partisan advice because the Attorney General would not want to displease the government. And so there, it's more likely that there would be something, you know, some inclination to, um, to give really not what would be unvarnished legal advice. So to put it another way, you serve at the, 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 the pleasure of His Majesty? Well, I mean, I think if you look in the Constitution, what it says is that the Attorney General has tenure, except, like, like a judge, right? right? With the exception that if the Attorney General has, is guilty of misconduct, right. that person can be removed. If the, if the person is in, incompetent or incapable of doing the job, yes. that person can be removed. If the person is sick or absences him or herself, you know, just not doing the job, they can be removed. So there's a tribunal process for the removal of the of the individual. So it's not that you have a person who's clearly not functioning for whatever reason or doing a really thoroughly bad job in terms of what the you know the core responsibility of the work and you can't get rid of them. That's not the position. Right. But it's a protected position because of the nature of the work. And the same obtains for the, the DPP. Uh, thanks much for that um, explanation there. Let's see. We have um, a number of texts. Um, uh, let me say hi to Don Astwood. Uh, he is listening all the way from New York City. Uh, we have people listening all around the world, really. And um Uh, the Professor Lee Ingham uh, persists, but the AG is actually a member of the cabinet, so legal advice is not the sole responsibility as in the House of Assembly, isn't it? I think she made that point clear. <laughs> you know, of course, we have what we call three equal branches um, of government, the judiciary, the legislature, the executive. In this case, she wears uh, dual hats. Um, in the executive, which is the cabinet, uh, basically, as well as in the legislature. Uh, One thing, though, I'll have to say to Mr. Ingham, because Mr. Ingham and I have had these conversations before. Right. So I understand what he's getting at, and it's a, it is a common misconception that I think is worth clarifying on the whole. 
and that is that what is the role of the Attorney General within the Cabinet? We went around the islands when we did the constitutional proposals, um, which the two parties um, proposed, and um, this was one of the questions. And what I think is a common misconception is that, remember I refer to the decision makers? In terms of the decision makers within the executive, I'm not talking about the Attorney General. The decision makers within the cabinet are the elected part of the cabinet giving advice to the governor, right? That's what the Constitution provides. The Attorney General within the cabinet is an advisor, gives legal advice to the decision makers that helps to inform the decisions that they make. And even in respect of the, of the add-on, the crown land part of it, the policies about those things and the decisions about those things do not lie with the Attorney General. They lie with the Cabinet, as rightly they should, because those, all those decisions are the government will either rise or fall on the decisions. And so it is for them to make the decision as to which way the government would move forward. The impression given to the public with regards to cabinet, because there's always this discussion about what is consensus, and there is that um, view in the public domain uh, that if, say, there is a matter that the elected government wants to proceed on, but you or the deputy governor were to raise an objection, then the matter is dead. Now, I always say, of course, any sensible government, if it is a matter where it perhaps is illegal, like the question somebody is uh, proposing now, they certainly wouldn't want to push forward and uh, accept that advice. And similarly, particularly with regard to the civil service, if the deputy governor tenders an advice, uh, one would want to take that into consideration. But I would shudder to think that be it the AG or the deputy governor, uh, seeks to obstruct the elected government from carrying out its mandate. Am I correct in that perception? You're absolutely correct. And it would be improper for either a deputy governor who's responsible for the public service and so who should rightly um, be able to give advice to the cabinet um, about the implications from a public service perspective of a proposal that's before the cabinet so that when the cabinet makes a decision, they understand what the implication is. Can the public service deliver this? Um, is it consistent with the existing policies? Do we need to change a policy? Do we have sufficient manpower? Those are the, um, you know, the types of advices which the deputy governor would give to the cabinet. Um, likewise, the attorney general's advice is about the law. And again, most of the decisions that are taken, most of the advice, I should say, that around decision-making is presenting a range of options that are available within the law for the, for, the, for the thing that is proposed. Rarely, but sometimes it happens, that a proposal comes to the cabinet and the proposal is not supported by the law. So the advice is this would not, the law doesn't allow you to make this decision. Again, remember what I said a moment ago, it's not that the attorney general said no, and so therefore we can't do it. It is the law. So now if it is that the, the cabinet really wants to do the thing that has to be done, then the option is always open to the cabinet to propose to the parliament, to the House of Assembly, that we make a change in the law because we really want to do, we think this thing that we propose is in the best interest of the people. Great.
Let me remind my listeners and viewers that the number to call is one 900 7 Your views, your opinions are very important. We have a number of brilliant young people out there, some legal students, even lawyers and others. I expect to hear your voice because so often um, when I'm being under the tree or this way, you ask me various questions. I try to give the best answer I can. Sometimes I'm on point. Maybe there are sometimes I'm not so much on point. Um, not by any means um, a legal personnel. You know, I've got a pretty good head on my body, but um, don't profess to know it all. Now let me read this other text in the meantime then. It says, good morning, Mr. Hall. I'm of the view. Uh, sorry. Um, yes. Good morning, Mr. Hall. I'm very... September... Come on, come on. Yes. The question goes towards the AG. The AG serves as legal advisor for the government, but what if the government wants a policy or law which might go close to the borderline illegal? How can the AG keep away from the pressure if the government can then say they have no confidence in the AG and removing the AG? And what if the government puts forward in the House a no-confidence vote and prevail in that vote? what happens <laughs> well <laughs> no confidence votes are against elected um premiers right. really you and, know and speaker right and the speaker um it's not um it's not against you know the other members of the house but again it's not um i think the proper if the if the if a if a if a government if a, a premier or a minister for that matter um has a concern about the way that an attorney general is is working um or not working then the the proper thing to do is to raise that with the governor um and to set it out you know clearly because um you know and to and so that that can be addressed that's the proper thing um not within the context of the of the house which is which is a political place and this person has a simple question, say both AG and DPP are addressed as honorable, the question mark. <laughs> honorable is, um, is nomenclature from the House of Assembly. Um, so a member of the House is, is honorable. And pursuant to the policies of the government, even after a member leaves the House and unless he or she is convicted of a crime, that person remains honorable so that's why persons would have heard us both the deep the acting dpp and i referring to you this morning as honorable hall you you can you maintain you retain that title um even after you've left the house so because the attorney general sits in the house as a member of the house that's where the the term the the um the title honorable comes from um, but the DPP does not sit in the House, and that's why the DPP does not have it. But the the proper expression um, for to address the DPP per the policy is to to refer to the DPP as the learned DPP. That's correct. And um, I often hear laypersons referring to each other as the learned friend. Yeah. And I often correct them, but I guess they can't see it. And so it doesn't matter if you are a professor, not, and I'm not talking about in law, that does not make you a learned person. I think that's a nomenclature that is normally yes. used for people in the legal profession. Yes, that's correct. Okay. That's correct. So boys under the tree, I hope you heard that. 
Okay. <laughs> Almost after every show, when I leave, there's another show, uh, whether it's by McAdoo or by Bubblegum or Herbert Adams or one of those under the tree, all the ways. <laughs> good morning to all the boys. Uh, good morning to those guys who congregate over there by PZs. Uh, no cruise ship is in today. So I know many of you got your radios on and listening. I hope you're keeping up positive vibes. Let's keep the community clean. Let's try to keep this island crime-free, man. Come on. Uh, good morning to uh, f- uh, my good friend, Just Cool. I know he has his radio on, even on the construction job. He takes his radio with him. Uh, good morning to my friend all the way down there in Wheelan, who is listening in. And, of course, good morning to Georgina Stiles up there in New Jersey, who says she's listening. And she says the show is indeed very, very informative. Ladies, you heard from another lady. Okay. Very good. My good. cousin. The number to call is one nine hundred twenty two twenty two zero zero seven nine four six two zero zero seven. Let me see if any other text is coming since that. Well, um, I'm never uh, without questions. Let me get back to you, um, Madam Acting Director of Public Prosecutions. The position has been vacant for some time since the departure of. Uh, oh, we have a caller. Uh, good morning, caller. Welcome to Expressions. Good morning, Honorable Hall. Um, I just call in to say congratulations. Uh, and, and my to... guest. <laughs> and your guest, sorry. <laughs> I just call in to say congratulations to those two young ladies, the Honorable A.G. and um, Mrs. Brooks, Terry Brooks. They are two born and bred, Turks and Caicos Island. And I am so proud of them today listening to this show, hearing them explain their positions and the position of the law in the Turks and Caicos Islands. Great to hear. It's inspiring because you know, um, it's a sharing. You know what I'm aspiring to be, and it's so good to hear. It's refreshing to hear these two young ladies today. Thank you. All right, thanks. That's woman to Thank woman. You. Yes, we're very proud of you as well as our one of our chief community activists. Right. Yes, right. we're very proud of you as well. President of the Seroptimus as well, Grand Turk. All right. Uh, thank you much. Let the calls keep coming in. We have been having a very interesting uh, uh, discussion here, but we certainly cherish your views and your opinions on the various matters affecting the country. I was just acknowledging uh, my good friend down there in Wheelan who says that he's around. Good morning and all the best to you. Uh, this is a program I know that is listened to throughout the islands. Uh, over in Salt Key, good morning, uh, down in, well, here in the nation's capital, and the big south, down in middle and north Caicos, straight on down to Providenciales. I'm sure there are hundreds, if not thousands, who are listening to expressions. And today I'm certainly honored, for those of you who may be joining me late, to have uh, as guests the Honorable Attorney General and uh, the Director of Public Prosecutions. I always make an appeal to the students because in your studies, the uh, questions may come in surrounding these matters. So while many of you spend a whole lot of time on Facebook, if uh, what you do, go to our Facebook page in your spare time and listen to this show. All right. Um, I was about to ask you, um, Ms. Brooks, Acting Director of Public Prosecution, for some time since Mr. Tonye left, uh, you have been acting. How has that experience been? 
Um, this is not the first time that I have been acting. I have acted um, on many, many other occasions before during my professional career over the last 22 years. So um, I would say though, on this experience here, it's a bit different because of the issues that we are having with the short staff. So I'm finding myself um, pulled in many different directions. Um, generally, I don't appear in court as much as I used to because of my other roles as um, acting director. But because we are short staff, I'm basically in court um, almost every day and I'm, I'm in Provo more often than I usually would be. So it's much more demanding because um, I have to fill in, I have to operate in my role as the acting director, but I also have to appear in court, um, in magistrate's court and Supreme Court prosecuting all matters, still providing the legal advice that is uh, expected of me in my capacity. So I'm really, really busy. Well, you know, not just a few, people always say the politicians like Provo. So as the house ends, they're all heading to the airport and they say many civil servants like Provo. But the point is, if I have to rise, not that you need any defense. Mm -hmm. The fact is most of the criminal matters originate in Providenciales and are tried there. Mm -hmm. So I can fully, fully understand that. Um. How soon do you think the position um, will be filled? I'm tempted to ask another question. You know what it is, but I won't. Okay? <laughs> do not yield to temptation. <laughs> um, honestly, I have no clue. I don't, I don't know. I can't answer that. I have no idea. Uh, but in the meantime, I continue to work every day just as normal. Well, I'm sure you would as a, mm -hmm. as a professional. Yeah. The number to call is uh, 1-900-2222-007, 946 Is it that these ladies are quitting themselves so well that all your queries are answered that you hardly have any questions? Come on, I'm sure there are those of you. What's happening, Patterson Williams? I haven't heard your voice for a while. What's happening, Mr. Kennedy? I haven't heard you much. Good morning this morning. How are you? And Mavis, most times when I call you, oh boy, there's trouble. But anyway, <laughs> good morning to all of you. These are some of my regular callers. Let me check my text line. I'm hearing uh, the buzzing. Let's see what's new here. Let's hope again it's positive because heaven knows I'm tired of hearing negative news. Um, last night, I mean, pretty late, and I must apologize because there are those, including uh, one who's present, <laughs> that I might have texted disturbing their rest, but I thought it was something that I just had to share, sad as it was. And uh, let me, at this moment, express sympathies to the families that have been affected by the overnight murders in Provo, and to all those who have uh, families suffered uh, through violence. May God bless and strengthen them. We have a caller. Caller, go right ahead. Uh, greetings to you, Mr. Hall and all, and to your honorable guest. Uh, one of them said yield not to temptation, but, but I have to yield to this temptation. Let's look what temptation. I, I, find, I couldn't resist the temptation of uh, hearing you have such an honorable guest and don't, don't call him to say thanks for 
for being on and giving us the opportunity to ask whatever questions uh, we have to ask. So appreciate that greatly and thanks. Uh, I really didn't have any questions, but now I think I may have a question for for any, any one of those honorable guests who can answer it. Uh, do you have any, any one of y'all have any idea how long uh, it would take? Like for, if someone wants to get a judicial review, basically how long that process would take. Thanks and bye. Please? We couldn't hear the question. question. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. I should have told you um, uh, when it comes to the question, you can use the headphone. Okay. I'm sorry. All right. Yes, we did. Yeah. Hear. Okay. Um, or um, my tech operator, you can turn the volume off on the speaker or they can hear. Uh, we have another caller, I believe, but I, I haven't forgotten the question. I'll, okay. I'll take All it. Right. Okay. Uh, no, he asks, um, Jonathan had asked about if one wanted to have judicial review, how long would it take? <laughs> oh, well, I mean, I have to say that the majority of the work that we are doing these days has have has to do with judicial review. Um, you know, judicial review is obviously an important um, part of our legal system. Um, you know, no public body is perfect, and um, you know, citizens' rights have to be protected. And so um, persons aggrieved about the decisions of of public bodies um, should rightly have access to judicial review um, so that the courts can ensure that the proper process was was followed. Um, You know, so it can be that it's quick. Um, You know, we had a recent uh, judicial review matter that came out of the House of Assembly, um, which was in itself very interesting and perhaps the first time in the in the islands that we had that it was important to do to to have these things that test our systems um from time to time but that one was dispatched um rather quickly i would say within um maybe three months um but it can go on for a long time it can go on for you know for for a year or more it um it can be quite lengthy depending on um you know the nature of the matter Okay, we have another caller. Caller, come on. Um, somehow we're losing these calls. I don't know why. Um, of course, no fault of mine. Like I constantly say, I do not control the telephones where I sit. But um, the texts keep coming in. Let me go to one of them. And uh, it says, congratulations to two wonderful ladies. So informative and well explained. Thank okay. you. Thank you. And... Uh, Another person says, um, if the AG do not present a reference in a criminal matter, can the DPP present one? So I think there has been some talk about um, the AG's reference of questions, um, legislation recently. Hold that. To- Hold your Let's take this call. Caller, go right ahead. First, I want to say personal morning to you, Mr. Wall, and to your guests. And uh, I want to say finite and commend these two ladies. They service to the country and the responsibility that they have in the hand in serving their country. And uh, I just want to wish them the best. And continue on the professional role. My 
Thank you very Thank you. much. Wishing us the best. Okay. It's only one set of headphones here. So. Yes. Mm -hmm. I was asking the to turn up the speaker. Oh, some problem there. Um, I hate complaining, but quite a bit of work needed <laughs> so that we can present the way we really want to. I apologize for that. This text says if the AG do not present a reference in a criminal matter, can the DPP present one? If sure. no, is it consistent with the constitutional independence of the DPP? Will the AG consider making provision for a DPP reference? This, I guess, comes from a legal personnel. Right, it sounds so. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's good. You called for them. Yes. Um, so, on the whole, you know, the we have you, we have a, we have provision in the islands, which was approved by the House of Assembly some years ago, for Attorney General's reference of questions. So, the way that we have used it um, so far, I think, at all times was that the Office of the Director of Public Prosecution would have had an issue with the way that a particular matter may have been dis disposed of by the court um, and wanting to ensure that the approach that was taken and the application of the law was correct. And, um, and because at the moment the Office of the DPP doesn't have a right of appeal, a prosecution right of appeal, which is really what the person is asking for, and the independence of the DPP, the DPP ought to be able to to appeal to the Court of Appeal, the higher court, on matters, um, you know, and allow for the court to ensure that a correct decision was taken. Um, and so, um, you know, we we did draft legislation for that purpose, but it has not been able to to get through the process, um, you know. So, in the absence of that. The, um, the alternative approach is for the Attorney General to raise questions um, before the Court of Appeal as to the proper interpretation of the law or, you know, um, whether the court below um, got it right. Now, in relation to those questions, it may impact on, so it may refer to a specific criminal um, trial that took place, a criminal matter but it is not an appeal, so it does not have the effect of overturning the decision that was taken by the court in respect of that criminal matter. Mm -hmm. um, and so I appeared in respect of an AG's reference before the Court of Appeal um, just last month, and it has to do with whether the proper application of the court in relation to the mandatory minimum sentences and whether the sentences which, the, which, which have resulted from some um, spe specific um, uh, trials, you know, was uh, the sentence which the law required within the, within the, you know, in terms of the legislative intention of a deterrence, a strong sen sentence, a uh, sense of deterrence, which really started in this country, you know, all the way back in, I'd say, 2010 or around there. Um, you know, and significant amendments which the legislature, the House of Assembly, has been making to the criminal law to toughen um, provisions, uh, penalty provisions, and, you know, to send a strong deterrence message in respect of particularly gun crime. And, um, and that, of course, is no surprise because of what has been happening, and you talked about uh, matters just happening uh, late last night. So the legislature, in keeping with its responsibility, has said, right, we want to handle these things in a tough way so that it stops this behavior. 
which is harming the community. And so then the response from the police, from the prosecutors, from all the criminal justice stakeholders, including the courts, um, ought to be to ensure that the justice of the case is done, but that it is done within the context of the deterrence message, which the legislature is sending. And so because of the concern of the DPP um, as to whether those particular matters were um, handled uh, in keeping with the legal requirements for exceptional circumstances in the context of a mandatory minimum um, provision, sentence provision, we, um, you know, I, I um, presented to the Court of Appeal submissions to say, well, is this the correct application? And so we are awaiting the decision of the court, uh, which we hope to get um, very soon. And so that is the way that we use the AG's reference. It's not uh, me interfering at all with the independent function of the DPP. It's not an appeal, but it's my responsibility to ensure that the law is properly applied. And so that's why the, with the cabinet's approval, I go to the court to say, is this the right way that it was, you know, and to make also suggestions to the court about what is the correct way. Right. And as you said that, you know, because there has been quite a bit of a, a debate about uh, various decisions and sentences with regards to gun crime, um, uh, many of those who are coming in from abroad versus locals, and the discretion that has been used by uh, the justice involved and whether that was the intent of the legislators. However, I often encourage our people to read and follow what goes on elsewhere. There's an interesting case, I don't remember if it's Trinidad or St. Lucia, where um, I think it was a former member of parliament who had licenses for two Glocks, but he imported accessories, various parts of it, without the necessary provisions. Now, under their law, he could have been sentenced to seven years in jail and fined $15,000. However, he had a good record, and they looked at his intention. I mean, they say ignorance of the law is no excuse. He thought because he was a licensed gun holder, he could bring in those parts. And so he was just found, um, fined something like 5000 EC dollars. Mm-hmm. So wherever you go, there is that little difference. But Turks and Caicos, oh my God, sometimes our people play up the race card so much, play up the TI foreign thing so much. Well, we're getting right pretty down to the end, but um, uh, even if management knocks me over the knuckle, I'm going to go through the remaining text. <laughs> um, and this person says, good morning. Will the AG speak to the success or not of the revised Crown Land policy in particular? How many applications are received and processed and how many approved? <laughs> come on. Well, I yeah. didn't come armed with that information. Right. Um, but I know that it's um, over 100 and something applications that have been um, received. And I know that they um, are being processed, but I, I don't know the number of them. Yes, thanks. And you see, I have my uh, unpaid legal advisors, too. And uh, one text me to say the reference I just made was in uh, Dominica. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and I, I, I take time to pronounce Dominica because so often people confuse that with Dominican, Dominican Republic. Republic. <laughs> yeah, different uh, totally different. And um, thank you very much, sir. Good morning to you. Um, and of course, the person concluded that that individual had a good lawyer. I think a good lawyer is essential. <laughs> yes. Um, we have another caller, as usual. Wait till the last minute. Caller, go right ahead. Good afternoon, Mr. Hall, to you and your guests. Good afternoon. 
is going to um, carry your book racks up 30 feet. I'd like to find out some more. Charge of over the, 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 the judges and then those the cases. So, this I regard particularly as the Um, you know, the strip trial should have uh, lasted, supposed to be three years. You know, that this will continue. In our business, the prayer we have now. And our position as director of property. Thank you, Director, George. No, it's a This time, you must wrap up this case in such and such a time. You know, sometimes it's here around. It's a long day. Thank you. Well, thank you much. Um, we weren't hearing you too clearly, but no. I knew that, that the sentiments you expressed had to do with the SIP trial and the time that is taking and how I will be uh, wound up. I think that is beyond the remit of both persons that we have here. As I mentioned uh, before they even came, that to the best of my knowledge, I am not aware that a judge has been as yet selected for the second set of trials. And so that's still somewhere off. Uh, there is... Okay, thanks, because there's some interference in the background there. Let me see if I could just complete the other texts that are here. And uh, before we end uh, the show, <laughs> this person says, since one plus one equal two, with the majority of criminal matters being in Provo, and I dare say the convictions are from there. What say ye about building a prison there? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, actually, our remand center is something which um, the government has purchased um, a property uh, to, 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 um, to facilitate because it's recognized that there are also public safety uh, issues uh, for uh, transporting prisoners. Um, and persons on remand back and forth. And um, so that is something that is um, is being considered in terms of remand center, not a prison. Um, I think the prison, from everything that I know, will continue to be exactly where it is. But um, but a remand center so that it um, it avoids, you know, public safety uh, concerns. Thank you much. And this one here... Um the latter part is a bit con uh, confusing, but anyway, let me read it. Good morning, Mr. Hall. The congratulatory praises to the ladies present are okay. However, there are still families grieving from the loss of their loved ones with the rate of unsolved murders. How many murders have been prosecuted with a guilty verdict in the past two years? As far as I'm concerned, the AG and the DPP have been failure in prosecuting murder cases here in the Turks and Caicos Islands. Well, I don't prosecute. I <laughs> <laughs> But we have unfairly, what's the last line? Uh, um, it says, as far as I'm concerned, the AGNDP has been a failure in prosecuting murder cases in the Turks and Caicos. Uh, we have a caller. Think on that in a minute. Caller, go right ahead. Um, that again, I, I wanted a response from, from the Attorney General or the, or the Director of Prosecution because I didn't get a clear answer of asking who's in charge 
of the, of the, the procedures, like regarding, regarding who, who to give directions um, to, to the, the, the judges and traders and the end lawyers. Okay, thank you very much. You will remember um, when the trial started, we had a retired judge from Jamaica. Um, he was ill and died, so the process basically started all over again. Then we had a new chief justice who came in and uh, decided that she'll take on the first set of three cases. That one has... Shall I say the first stage has been concluded? Mm -hmm. There's an appeal process. We have no control over that one or these uh, the two ladies here, none over that. And as to the commencement of the other set of trials, uh, that is entirely up to the Chief Justice. Um, and the Judicial Service Commission. So, right. Mm -hmm. Correct. Yes, okay. not up to any of our offices. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. Well, um, let me go maybe just one or two more texts, then we will conclude. I always ask my listeners and viewers to um, call early when we have time, but most times they wait until the last minute and then we don't get... Um, Mr. Hall, I'd like through. to respond to the previous text um, where the listener was saying that the DPP has been a failure in prosecuting murder matters in the Turks and Caicos, something to that? Yes. That? Um, as I was explaining in my introduction, the DPP receives criminal files from the Royal Turks and Caicos Islands Police Force. Those files must contain sufficient evidence in order for us to properly prosecute, and the evidence must reach a high standard beyond a reasonable doubt. We have had instances, as we all know, where multiple murders have occurred here in the Turks and Caicos Island without one person coming forward to give any kind of information. You have the 911 system. Um, you can give um, information anonymously. But if the police are not receiving the assistance from the general public and those persons who are out there under the sound of my voice in assisting and giving the information or a lead for the police to work with, or on, we are never going to have any kind of um, positive results. And I know what the, the, the um, response is going to be. Or you cannot trust the police. Um, you give the police information, and then, you know, that information is all over the Turks and Caicos Islands on social media, etc. But we have to weigh that against, are we going to idly sit by as Turks and Caicos Islanders, cross our legs, and complain, as you were saying earlier, and not being helpful. If you see something, say something. We cannot go to court with empty files. Our office works with evidence. Evidence is obtained not by ODPP, but by the Royal Turks and Caicos Islands Police Force. Well, the last question, um, I'm going to take last text and no more calls because we're right out of time. We've actually gone beyond the time. And I'm more than grateful to the Honorable Attorney General and to the Acting Director of Public Prosecutions for being here with me and actually going over the time perhaps that they came uh, intending to stay, um, to stay on the show. And uh, this question from Professor Lee Ingham says, who has the responsibility for hiring the DPP? Has the position of DPP been advertised? When will the decision be made on a permanent basis? Mr. Hall read 
from the Chief Justice report, and it seems that there are an inordinate number of cases, which to me appears to be backlogged, is just due to a need for more judges and prosecutors, or have we simply become a more litigious society? <laughs> um, that's a very compounded question. Um, in terms of the backlog, we, ex we inherited this backlog from 2020 when we went through the period of COVID. And all cases had to be put on the back burner because we were just dealing with something new, trying to figure out how to have in-person um, trials, how to have trials online. And so we really got backlogged as a result of the COVID crisis. Since then, we have had, we have two operational judges on Grantor and two on Providentialis. But at the end of the day, you only can take one criminal matter at a time. So even with prosecuting every day, we still have a backlog. Why? Because the crimes are faster paced. They're being, um, it's happening faster than we can actually prosecute. Yes. yes, prosecute matters. So that is one of the reasons. Just like last night, Mr. Hall, um, the police, we are finding it very difficult to keep up with the murders in this country. It's a sad state of affairs, but that's just the state of affairs. Yes, and I think this comment, and I keep saying the last, now please don't send me any more texts. I'm taking no more calls. I'm going to just read these last two. And this person, I think, nails it very well says, we have to take some of the responsibility. We love our children too much to chastise them. Uh, we know who these criminals are, but refuse to come forward. That is indeed because, oh gosh, little Grand Turk, recent and past, and we can't crack them. They expect uh, the police to be a Perry Mason, but Perry Mason got clues and tips. And I read almost every... Perry Mason book when I was younger and at one time aspiring to be a lawyer but I guess I would not have been t too much of a good lawyer so I didn't go that way <laughs> anyway this uh, last one like I said um, says uh, but they keep sending matters forward without evidence meeting that high standard well I don't think we need to make a comment on that uh, like has been said, for multiplicity of reasons, people do not come forward. And I have seen, and I do follow a lot of the court proceeding, proceedings, where cases are discontinued because witnesses consistently don't show up, um, aggrieving parties, lost interest, and don't want to proceed. Can't blame the, the uh, Director of Public Prosecution's Office or the court system. Ladies and gentlemen, listeners, viewers, I want to say thanks to the Honorable Attorney General and to the Acting Director of Public Prosecutions for sitting here with me today, and I hope that all and sundry have benefited from the show. Your final comments. Well, my final comment is to echo the comment of your penultimate uh, text uh, messenger, and that is that this society that we live in um, is really is ours. This is our home. Um, this is where our children are, going, are growing up. Uh, this is where our future is. We don't have anywhere else to go. Um, you know, we say that we love it, um, you know, and defend it uh, fiercely against um, 
uh, foreigners, as we like to, to call people. But we have to also stand up in the moment that we are in and do our part. And as you have um, rightly identified, this is a stakeholders game. And the public is a key stakeholder in all of this, in our criminal justice system, and ensuring that it runs efficiently and effectively. And the reason that we're all working in these areas, the reason that the DPP is prosecuting, the reason that I'm drafting legislation, sitting with the National Security Council, sitting in the cabinet, helping the House of Assembly, is because we want to have a peaceful and orderly, safe society in which everyone can pursue their dreams and ideals and raise their families and live a happy life. And so if it is that we, you say we love our children too much, but the call, the, 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 the um, texter said, but I don't know that that's love because, you know, I was, I'm reading the, bo the book of Proverbs and the book of Proverbs talks about chastening of sons, right? And that is because of love. And so it says that if you chasten, if you don't chasten your son, it's because you don't love him. And so if it is that we know that these things are happening in our communities, we know who's doing them, but we don't step forward and say this behavior is wrong to the person, to the authorities, so that justice can be done, we are really destroying our children. We are really destroying our future. And so persons in our communities need to recognize that the public, the, the, the community, they are key stakeholders with everybody else. And it makes no sense pointing fingers, except that you're pointing one back at yourself. Let's work together and let us solve this problem. Turks and Caicos is not that big. It's small. And we can solve these problems and live better, more peaceable lives in this beautiful by nature country. Thank you. You know, the word of God says in the book of James, um, Honorable Hall, that a double-minded man is unstable in all, all of their ways. And likewise a double-minded society we cannot say out of one corner of our mouth that you know the police officers the dpp department we are not solving crimes and then on the other side of our mouth you're witnessing you're a witness to these atrocities these young men destroying families leaving children you're seeing what is happening but you refuse to speak up because the trouble is not at your doorpost Yet. Only when it, yet, it's correct. I echo the sentiments expressed by the Honorable AG because as ODPP, I am encouraging persons under the sound of my voice. If there is something that you know or if you've seen something, you can always call. You don't have to leave your name. You can always write a note. You can give a tip. Assist the police in solving all these crimes. We have too many unsolved murders. Just yesterday, someone was asking me about robberies and burglaries. I don't hear about robberies and burglaries anymore. Everything is a gun-related crime. Every night you're going to sleep, you're fearful that tomorrow morning you're gonna hear, this one was killed, that one was killed. In my 22 years of public prosecuting, this is the first time that I'm witnessing such sadness in these islands. We have to be more responsible as Turks and Caicos Islanders. If you hear something, if you see something, say something, report it. Then you will see better criminal files coming forward and the prosecutors will be able to do their jobs better. 
if you give us what is needed in order to solve these matters. We have legislation in place for vulnerable witnesses. If you're fearful because you don't want your identity shown or you know you need to get out of the country, whatever it may be, there's screens, there's protection. So we have to utilize everything that we have. But I just encourage persons, let's just be mindful of one another and be one another's brother's keeper because this is the society that we are creating. And until we do something different, we will continue the same pattern and sad to say, it can get worse. I do hope that the public will hear the plea of you two ladies today. And I want to thank you again and thank my listeners. I'm going to end as I started dedicating the song, People Like You, to members of the judiciary, the AG in her chambers, the acting director of public prosecution and her staff, to all law enforcement agencies. Grams Morgan, people like you. If you give a little more than you take And if you try to fix more than you break If you're the kind who takes the time to help a stranger in the rain There's a place for people like you If you stand up for those down on their knees And lend a voice to those who cannot speak If you shine a little light, give sight to the ones who've lost their way There's a place for people like you Days down.